0: You're listening
1: to TIP.
0: I would say probably some of like the best in their fields are really self-taught. If you're devoted to it and you're willing to seek out those resources, right? Like listening to podcasts, books, YouTube videos, you can really acquire all those skills independently and it doesn't require like some massive, massive investment.
1: On today's episode, I'm joined by Eliana Goldstein. Eliana is a certified professional coach working with ambitious millennials who are ready to take their careers to the next level. She brings you the tools and strategies to become the best version of yourself and create a career you're actually excited about so you can stop settling. During this episode, Eliana and I chat about everything related to maximizing your career choices. More specifically, we uncover the telltale signs to know if you need a new career or not, what to look for in a new career, why so many millennials are unhappy with their jobs, how to go about asking for a raise, Eliana's thoughts on pay transparency, and so much more. Most of us know what it's like to work in a job that isn't our ideal work situation, but we can all take the necessary steps to help us get to where we want to go in life. And that's why I brought Eliana onto the show to help you get there. I recently read a statistic that 55% of millennials are not engaged at work. I promise you that if you really put your mind to it, you can find that fulfilling career that you enjoy that doesn't lead to a substantial pay cut in the long run. With that, I really hope you enjoy today's episode with Eliana Goldstein.
2: You're listening to Millennial Investing by The Investor's Podcast Network, where your hosts, Robert Leonard and Clay Fink, interview successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation.
1: Welcome to the Millennial Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Clay Fink. And today we bring on Eliana Goldstein. Eliana, thank you for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Now, today's conversation is going to be an interesting one, a bit different than what we typically do. And we're going to be chatting all about how people can navigate and just optimize their overall career, career path, career trajectory. And I'm just super excited to dive into this with you. Let's start by considering how one should even consider you know, the choice of choosing a career. This could be helpful for someone that's just in college, or maybe they're not on a path that they really like right now. So how can someone decide whether a specific career path is right for them or not?
0: Yeah, it's such a good question. And it's such an important one that even though it's such a large part of our lives, we really never think about and we never consider. And I think especially like you were saying, coming out of college, it's so important before we kind of go down this path that maybe isn't the right fit for us. And especially coming out of college, I feel like We're so impressionable and we're so influenced by our friends and what other people are doing and what our parents are saying that it's really important to think about these things. So when I think about career paths and when I'm working with people, there are five things that I like to focus on to really guide our decisions and what could be most aligned for us. And those five things are what I like to call our areas of engagement, our areas of disengagement, our values, our zone of genius, and what I call our states of flow. So briefly going over what each of those are, so hopefully listeners can kind of start ruminating for themselves. Areas of engagement are exactly like they sound. Where are we super engaged thus far in our careers? If you're coming out of college, maybe you're thinking through you know, past internships you've had. Or maybe even, you know, experiences and projects you worked on in high school and college. What has really, you know, grabbed your attention? What have you enjoyed doing that you would ideally like to do more of? And then conversely, you also want to be thinking about what are my areas of disengagement? What have I totally dreaded? What have been like the things that I just want to run out the door and never have to do again that make me want to pull my hair out so those are areas of engagement areas of disengagement then we want to think about values so and i'm sure you you know you've heard this clay we're always taught to kind of like chase our passions in our career right chase your passions that will make me so happy but i find that that's a really big misconception and passions really don't correlate to fulfillment in our careers what we really want to focus on instead are What are our career values right so things like i value collaboration creativity autonomy recognition these are the things that we want to know about ourselves so that we can find a company a team a role that really correlates because if we're someone where creativity is our number one value and we're in a company or a role where that's just completely stifled we're going to be miserable. So we need to really consider our values. And then our zone of genius is almost like our unique superpower. This is what we want to be known for, what we want people to come to us for, what kind of uniquely makes us ourselves and what we really really in an ideal word like what superpower we want to be leveraging at work. And then finally our states of flow. So this is where if you know some people refer to it as deep work. This is where, you know, you're doing an excel or a powerpoint presentation and you get so caught up in it that you lose track of time. And you're like, oh my God, it's already been two or three hours. You want to notice where that's happening for you professionally and what you're doing when that's happening, because ideally we want to do work that allows us to do more of that. So those are really the five areas. And I kind of use those things to start information finding, and we can start pulling out patterns. Oh, I really noticed that I'm super engaged doing this. I get into states of flow doing that. And then we can kind of use those data points to align that with the career path that will allow us to lean into those things. So that's really where I like to start and what I like people to kind of focus on, do that introspection with, to then sort of guide them down that eventual right path.
1: Man, you hit on some really good points there. You know, you mentioned how in high school and in college, we're so heavily influenced by those around us. People are often pressured by society to go to your local university and go and get a degree there. But That might not be the best path for a lot of people. And, you know, it's something that's not really taught. So I'm really glad we brought you on the show. And, you know, I just think back to my own kind of journey. I went along kind of a corporate path that aligned with what I was really good at, and that was math. And I worked in the insurance field for a bit. You know, Mark Cuban says that. Following your passion is terrible advice. And so I kind of took that approach where I kind of went after what I was really good at and like kind of assumed yeah. that the passion would just come along, but it really never did come. So, you know, it's just really interesting how many of the things you said just ring true, just in my own experience, too. So I think one of the biggest struggles for people is they go on this path and they aren't really sure what they should do when they get on a path that they don't really enjoy and they don't really like. There's things like the time it takes to get education to go into a new field and yeah. then just the cost as well. Are there any fields that you've seen or you've worked with people that have gone into new fields? Are there any fields that you know don't require a ton of schooling that still pay decently well, at least?
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I would actually argue that most fields don't require a ton of schooling, but I think you hit on such an important point because I think people make that assumption a lot, which is what keeps them stuck in career paths that they're really, you know, not enjoying and not aligned with. They think, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to make this big pivot. It's going to require so much, you know, money, schooling, all those different things. But outside of sort of, you know, your more traditional fields like lawyer, you know, CPA, doctor, even maybe psychologists, obviously some work that requires maybe a PhD, things of that nature. I would argue that most really you can kind of leverage transferable skills to make the pivot. And even where you are lacking skills, there is such an abundance of resources now online, especially kind of in the wake of the pandemic and everything that so much can be self-taught. So especially and now thinking about tech, right? Everybody wants to be in tech right now. So when we think a lot about those types of roles, you know, sales, marketing, customer service, PR, communications, program management, project management, none of those really require additional schooling. And again, if there's something that you feel you need to learn more about, there's Udemy, there's Coursera, there's Google courses, LinkedIn Learning, there's so many different resources out there to help you kind of build on that. But I think really the most important thing is to focus on what are the transferable skills that I have right now? You know, know, communication skills, have I been client-facing, attention to detail, my organization skills, uh, Excel skills that I have. So really thinking about that first and foremost, before you tell yourself, oh gosh, I have to go back and get some fancy masters. That's what I really think is most important.
1: The two fields that really I see as a recurring theme in my own life, I have friends that get into real estate. You don't need a degree to go and do anything in real estate. And there's so many ways to make money 100%. in that field. And then the second one, which you kind of alluded to, is just software development, you know, being a computer engineer for a company. That's just like a field that's so in demand. And I have a buddy that learned how to do all that stuff just from YouTube and Google, exactly. which is pretty crazy
0: exactly Yeah, like ux ui coding all those things you know a lot of i would say probably some of like the best in their fields are really self-taught if you're devoted to it and you're willing to seek out those resources right like listening to podcasts books youtube videos you can really acquire all those skills independently and it doesn't require like some massive massive investment
1: so you actually work with people to help them find the right career field Are there any telltale signs or signs you see over and over again that it's time to look for something new?
0: Yes, there definitely are. I think a lot of the times we're kind of in denial of the signs, but it's really important to be aware of them and embrace them because we don't want to go to that point of burnout. So I think one of the first signs is when you just kind of feel like your growth is stagnating, where you're no longer feeling challenged in the role and you are really not enjoying the work that you're doing and you don't really see a way to overcome that. You know, there aren't really additional projects that you think could really expand your skill set or that you think would be more interesting for you And when that starts happening, your engagement starts going out the door, you start getting really, really bored. And from there, it kind of just spirals. So that's a really, really big one. Like, how are you feeling about your growth in the role? And then growth in a different way as well. Is there an internal growth path at the company that you see for yourself? Do you say, oh, I really want to be a senior manager? Oh, I really want to be a VP, right? Is there that clear trajectory? And if answer is no another surefire way to start burning out really quickly if you're not aspiring to anything at the company if there's nobody that you're kind of looking up to and saying hey i want to be that person again we want to start thinking about another role because you want to be inspired you want to have those sort of like role models that you're looking up to If you're just feeling like the work you're doing, frankly, is really boring, right? I talked a little bit about this before, but if the projects aren't leaning into your skill sets, if the projects aren't leaning into what I talked about before, your zone of genius, and you're just kind of feel like you're spinning your wheels in this endless cycle, and you just have that sense of, oh my gosh, I'm dreading Monday in such a deep way that it's, you know, making almost impacting my mental health. It's impacting my physical health. I hear all the time from people who are unhappy at their jobs, you know, I'm getting headaches. I'm not sleeping well when we start crossing over into that arena absolutely time to find something new and then i would say another big one is really how you feel about the company sometimes we start a job and we start working at a place and we're so inspired by the company's mission we're so inspired by their values what they're working towards and as we continue working there things evolve. You feel like their mission has changed. Maybe there's been turnover in leadership and you're just at that point where you really can't get on board with the work you're doing, with what the company is pushing towards, and you start feeling sort of that disconnect. That too is just definitely a sign that it's time to start exploring something new.
1: Yeah. I love how you mentioned the physical health piece. If you're losing sleep over what's going on at your job or you have no time to yeah. you know, take time for yourself and go and just do what you need to to take care of yourself, whether it's go on walks or go and exercise, whatever. On the financial side, I can't help but think about someone who just kind of feels like they're trapped with this, you know, student debt type situation we're in, where many people have a lot of student debt. You know, should they focus on paying that back before changing careers, or how do you kind of approach that kind of dilemma?
0: You know, it's so funny. I literally just got asked a question like this just on TikTok. Kind of, I want to find something new, but I need that sense of stability and that sense of income to be able to, you know, pay for my life, pay bills, you know, be able to pay off debt, things of that nature. So I think it's super common. And what I would say, and I I think there's this notion, especially sort of in the wake of the great resignation and so many people who quit their jobs, that if I want to find a new job, I got to go and quit and I got to make it this big thing. And then, oh, my gosh, I'm going to lose my income. How am I going to handle all of that? I'm a big believer. And you've probably heard this before. You know, there's kind of that saying that it's best to be looking for a job when you have a job. So unless obviously if we're talking about things like mental health being impacted and we've really crossed over, that's a little bit of a different situation. But I would say if you're feeling sort of the, you know, Uh, I'm really not happy here. I need to find something new, but I can't quit just yet. Just go ahead and kind of like do the bare minimum for work, right? Don't overexert yourself. You know you're not going to be there long term. So don't feel like you need to like be like number one, a student, do what you need to do to get stuff done. But then at the same time, put your energy towards starting to look for something new, put your energy towards really figuring out and aligning with what really is the right career path. Thinking about those five things we talked about before. Start focusing on networking and building connections with people, all those different types of things. And then once you find something that feels more aligned, then you can, you know, leave your current job for the new job. But I don't think that we should be putting ourselves in a position where we're feeling this tremendous financial burden of, oh my gosh, I need to pay off all these student debts, all these different things. And I think it's very possible to find a new job while we still have a job. And if we do it right and we're strategic about it, it doesn't have to be a really, really long process. So that's generally what I advise. Clients. Again, different situation if we're in that major burnout or sort of mental health phase, then, you know, it might be important to think about a sabbatical. And, you know, do we might maybe kind of want to like bundle and put together some savings before we do that? So it really is sort of like a case by case situation. But that's sort of like my general advice in that arena.
2: Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors.
3: Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. That's Airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like: Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say,
2: hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found on the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship.
1: This is a paid advertisement. All right. Back to the show. Yeah, I like how you mentioned actually that you know you can put together some additional savings instead of making additional payments up front. If your payments five hundred bucks a month, you could save six thousand dollars, and that's a year's worth of your student loan payments that you could you know have on the side to pay off. Um, exactly. Should you go into something that takes a like pay cut or something of that sort? Why do you think? so many millennials are unhappy with their careers in the first place is this just you know word that's kind of going around or is it actually true or you know what are you finding on that front
0: so i think it's definitely true i mean i know that from having done this work for a long time now and spoken to a lot a lot of people it's definitely not just one of those things that we're hearing and i mean there are a lot of studies that show it i think in the most recent study i've seen they say about of millennials feel engaged with their work. So we're talking about 70% almost who are feeling disengaged, right? So it's definitely a common phenomenon and it's absolutely happening. And I think there are a lot of different factors that are leading to it. One of which we touched on actually in the beginning a little bit, and that's this notion of being influenced by people outside of us, namely our parents, a lot of the time, I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people that start with, well, I went down this path because my dad thought it would be good for me. And, you know, now I've, I'm in the golden handcuff situation where, you know, I'm successful and I'm making good money, but I really don't like what I'm doing. So I think a lot of the times those external pressures can really get to us. And we feel like we want to, you know, make our parents happy. We want to keep up with our friends because they seem like they have it all figured out. And that just keeps us stuck in those different roles. And then I think the second thing is just that we don't take the adequate time to really figure out what's best for us. A lot of the times we come out of college, if we're lucky enough, we get an offer and we go, okay, I got an offer. I got to take this, right? Like this is my first job. It's entry level, whatever it is, it is, and I'll just kind of figure it out from here. And then again, before we know it, you know, one year turns into two years or being in one specific field turns into four or five years in that specific field, and we're never taking the time to to be intentional, to be strategic, to think about, you know, the five areas that I talked about before, to network and do market research and talk to people in a variety of fields and really ask ourselves what feels most aligned for me. And I think namely because often we feel rushed and we kind of want to go grab that paycheck. And I think we're also just never really taught how to do it. None of us know how to really look for a job or what should be focusing on. All we're really taught is, oh, have a good resume go to linkedin go to indeed apply and that's it right like that is sort of the basics and and i wish it was something that was discussed more in college and university and so i think kind of like the culmination of all of that leads to this sense of you know discontent and kind of being trapped in the wrong company the wrong role the wrong like the wrong path for what could be a really long time
1: you always hear that money does not buy happiness and when i was young yeah. and didn't have any money i was like yeah right but it's not until you actually get to the point where you have some money and you realize how true that actually is and that's when i personally realized that maybe i should have put more thought into you know what i'm actually going to be doing and you know this is for the rest of your life when you're picking a career off on time so how can people handle the trade off between fulfilling work and paying the bills
0: So I know that this is a podcast, you know, devoted to very tangible strategies. And obviously, when we're talking specifically a lot of job search strategies and things like that. But what I would say, especially when it comes to this trade-off, is a lot of the times it is rooted in our mindset. I know it's very woo-woo, but it is important to touch on because even just saying, you know, this trade-off, right? It tells us all that there has to be a trade off that, oh, I can choose either or and like anything, like our thoughts become our reality. And if we're consistently saying to ourselves, "Okay, you know, Clay, you got to decide, do you want the like really well-paying career? Do you want the career that really fulfills you? Then we're going to believe that we have to make that decision. So I think first and foremost, it's really just acknowledging and telling ourselves, hey, no, I can have both. I'm determined to find both. I'm determined to make it happen. I don't want to sacrifice one of these things. And again, like when working with people, I see all the time, like that mindset that that they have embedded. And when they can flip that switch, it really changes the results, how they show up and what they end up pursuing. So that's really first and foremost. And then I also think it's just important to really recognize like that your, whatever your skills, whatever your talents are, like money should follow. So it's important to really think about what am I uniquely good at? What is again, my zone of genius? What is it that I want to be known for? And how can I monetize this in some sort of way? Obviously we can do that from like a side hustle business perspective, but I mean, even, you know, in our career path. So, you know, if we're someone who really wants to do teaching, right, we're an educator and Notoriously, that's a field that doesn't pay well, right? And I think we're seeing a mass exodus in teaching right now for a variety of different reasons. And a lot of the times, you know, teachers, for example, will think, well, there's nothing else I can do that will be lucrative for me. But you really want to think about, okay, as a teacher, like, what are my transferable skills? Do I really like curriculum development? Do I kind of like the aspect of interacting and interfacing with parents? Is it content development, right? There's so many different hats that you're wearing. So really think about what is the skill set that I want to lean into? And and then what path might I be able to, you know, correlate this with that's still going to be well paid? So a lot of teachers can think about, you know, like learning and development specialists, like curriculum development, training specialists. There are so many different options out there that can be well paid, but you have to be clear on what your skill set is and how you can, again, really monetize that. And then at the same time, you have to believe that it's possible for yourself. So, you know, teachers, one example, but we could go through so many different fields where we really think about, okay, what are the transferable skills here and what potential field does that correlate to that will be lucrative for me and that will pay me well ultimately
1: yeah it's pretty sad that you mentioned teachers in the mass exodus there you know it's, so sad yeah the world will need really good teachers and it's just like a field that just needs so many teachers too transitioning to uh talk more about the job search what are some ways yeah. in which you know people can go about finding the right job for them
0: anybody who knows me knows <laughs> that What I talk a whole lot about is networking. And I know it's a word, you know, we've all heard it a million times. I think that a lot of the times there's kind of this connotation to it that people really shy away from it, whether it's because they feel like they're more of an introvert or because they feel like, oh, I'm asking someone for something and that feels really like icky for me in some type of way. But it really is such an important skill set. And the way that I like to think about it, I like to think about networking a little bit differently. So I like to think about it as relationship building, but specifically like market research. So I'm not reaching out to someone and saying, hey, can you get me a job? Yeah, that's not the right way to go about it, right? If they don't know you from a hole in the wall, why should they get you a job? But if we can think about it from the perspective of, hey, that person's really built a really awesome career. They're clearly doing something right. I would love to develop a relationship with them, learn about them, understand how they got there, understand you know the pivots that they made, the skills that they built. And if we lean into, it from that perspective of this almost like market research what can i learn about them not only does that benefit us because it gives us an abundance of information that we can then use for ourselves but it allows us to build that genuine relationship right when we make it all about them when we want to learn and explore about them people tend to be a lot more responsive to that i always say you know as humans, like we're all inherently self interested, we love talking about ourselves. So if you can, you know, make a connection with someone and really get them talking, show genuine interest, ask them really good questions, they're going to be receptive to that. And again, that's going to help you a lot. And I think that's the most important thing you can do just lead with curiosity identify 10 to 15 people that are in a company in a job that's interesting to you reach out to them make it about them look to build a relationship see if they're willing to chat with you for even you know five or ten minutes ask good questions and then kind of see where it goes from there that is honestly, like the best thing that you can do that will really help you gain further clarity on what it is that you want to do. And then at the same time, it's this like very powerful double-edged sword because now you have this inside connection at this company that you've developed a relationship with who can serve as an internal referral. And we, you know, or I would say we all know, or I hope that we know that referrals are always going to be the best way to get a job. We don't want to rely on LinkedIn Easy Apply. We don't want to rely on, you know, just that apply to as many roles as possible. That's not a successful strategy. We want to get that referral. So if we can you know, build that connection, build that relationship, vet those roles through having those conversations, and then have that person who can refer us in, that's always going to be the most successful job search strategy.
1: Man, that is just really good advice. From my experience you know working with small companies that are have those strong values and are really great growing companies i think people kind of underestimate you know the power of just reaching out to them and just saying hey here's yeah. some of the skills i have and the value i can provide let me know if you guys have any openings or have any openings coming up in the future and just having an opening and accepting all those applications can be a stressful process. So if they can kind of sidestep that and just go directly to you, that's a win-win for both parties. And I think that you know, just reaching out to companies that you know your values probably align with, that can be a really good strategy.
0: Exactly, exactly. And I think there's a statistic I'm trying to remember it exactly right now, but I believe it's 7% of all candidate applications come from referrals, but they lead to 40% of the hires, right? So very few people are focusing on like the referral strategy. However, it's leading to the most hires, right? So as someone who is seeking a job, where do you want to play? You want to play in the area that the least amount of people are playing, right? Because it's the least competitive, but that it's leading to the best results. So exactly like you're saying, reach out. You just never know. It doesn't hurt. Worst case scenario, they don't respond to you, right? But we really, really want to focus on building those connections and put ourselves out there. That's always going to lead to the most success and the most growth.
1: The past couple of years it seems like quality labor has become pretty scarce and a lot of companies have job openings that they aren't able to fill and quality labor has a lot of options right now on where they can go work they can go get a higher salary oftentimes at another company and that makes me wonder I'm someone that personally values working for a smaller company you get to work on just a wide variety of different things and you know that grows your own skill set yeah. what are some things we should consider when potentially working for a company that might have trouble going through, you know, these economic times now. It's something we talk about on the show a lot, and it just feels like there's a lot of uncertainty out there, especially the higher inflation yeah. we're seeing. So, I'm curious what your thoughts are on how someone can navigate kind of the job market and how companies might go through this.
0: Yeah, it's such an important thing to think about right now, and I think it's top of mind for every person. And Honestly, I'm going to kind of go back to what I was saying before. I think that the mistake that I see a lot of job seekers making, especially in situations like this, where, you know, we're hearing like pending recession, oh my God, what's going to happen, is that they rely on the interview process to vet a company. And the truth is that once you're already in the interview process, you're probably one of three to five candidates that have been selected. At that point, the hiring manager, the recruiter, they like you, right? You already made it past hundreds of other people. And their goal is to sell you on the company, whether or not you end up getting the offer, they want to like have you go as far as possible. And then they get to make the decision whether they want to give you that offer. So not always, but sometimes companies are a little bit more dishonest during their interview process, or I should say they're not, you know, as forthcoming or willing to like really share what's going on. And I've seen it happen where someone will kind of just rely on that interview process, what they learn from that process to then make a decision. And I think now more than ever, because there's so much uncertainty, the truth is like, if you're asking questions around, you know, what is the temperature of the company right now? Are you hearing about potential, you know, layoffs? No hiring manager is going to tell a potential candidate, yeah, sure, you know, it's, there's potential that you might get laid off in six months from now, right? So I think it's really important to, before you go into the interview process with a company, go back to that process of networking, market research and properly vetting. Talk to other individuals at the company and really ask them, like, what are you hearing internally? Have there, has there been little chitter chatter about potential layoffs? Has the CEO or leadership addressed the company about what's going on? Right. Talk to the people who don't necessarily like, have this big incentive to potentially hire you. So I think it's really important to kind of conduct and have those conversations proactively before you even consider interviewing and going down that path. And again, it can really be as simple as going on LinkedIn, finding an individual in the role that you're interested in, and, you know, reaching out and saying, hey, I was wondering uh, if you had a couple minutes to chat. I'd love to learn and explore more about your role. Not every single person is going to respond, but if you send a note like that to three or four people at the company, the likelihood is that one person is going to get back to you. And then you can have a really forthcoming and honest conversation with them and make a decision about, is this a company that I should be pursuing? So that's really first and foremost. And then the second part of the equation is focusing on what you can control as an individual. So You can't necessarily control what happens at a company. We can't control like the economy in a pending recession, right? We can't do any of that. We wish we could, but we can control kind of how we approach a job search. So I always tell people that I don't care where you are in your career. Even if you just landed an awesome job yesterday, you should always be on a passive job search, meaning that once you have that job, if a recruiter reaches out to you with a cool role, be open to taking a five-minute call with them continue having those like productive market research conversations with individuals at other companies. You want to put yourself in a position that if you were to ever, God forbid, lose your job, you potentially could have something lined up really quickly after that. And that happens through always being proactive, always kind of being in this passive job search, Staying open to interview opportunities, staying open to recruiters, always reaching out to new people in your network. Put yourself in a position where people are actively reaching out to you and you don't have to be the one seeking those jobs. So I would say, like, those are the two biggest things to kind of call it recession proof your career to the degree that you can as you think about, you know, going forward and your job search and what's happening right now.
3: Let's take a quick break and
2: hear from today's sponsors.
3: Hey, everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing.
2: This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at
3: fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on road performance and commanding all terrain capability and combines assertive on road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover support at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com.
1: All right, back to the show. You know, oftentimes in the corporate world, we are given this set path to quote unquote, climbing the corporate ladder. And if you stay at a company long enough, many times people find out that their work is actually undervalued relative to your actual compensation. What are some right ways? I don't know if that's the right way to call it. Um, are there right ways to you know, ask for a raise from your boss in a respectful way?
0: Yeah, there definitely are. I think first and foremost, you know, you say like ask your boss for a raise. And I think that is one of the important things to do. I think a lot of the times people don't ask and people just kind of think, oh, well, when I'm there for a year, I'll end up getting that raise. And then they wonder, and you hear all the time, I didn't get a raise, but that person got a raise. Why did that person get a raise? Probably because they asked for one. That's a place that we don't wanna be passive in our careers. That's where we have to really be proactive. So just don't expect that it's going to happen because you've been at a place for a year, right? You want to be setting the foundation for a raise, like literally from the day that you start. Have a one-on-one conversation with your manager within your first few weeks. Get super clear on what are the goals? What's expected of me? What do I need to do to move to the next level so that you have the early clarity on that? And then you can really take the proactive steps to make all of that happen. And as you're doing it, as you're kind of checking the boxes, make sure you're letting your manager know, hey, I want to let you know, I just accomplished this project. Hey, I know we had talked about this as a goal. Here's how, you know, I'm pacing on all of that. So be really proactive about that. Get clear on what you need to do to be successful and make sure you are communicating that. That's really, really important. And then I would also say for you personally, it's really important to just be aware of What are your accomplishments? So I always tell people, you know, have a Google Drive, like in a folder in Google Drive that kind of just lists, like, this is, you know, a a project I did. Here's how I added value. Oh, this is an email that I got from a client, like where they were saying something really nice about me. Have that kind of like, humble brag list within your Google Drive or wherever it is that you want to keep it. So again, you can like report that into your manager, a lot of the times managers don't really have the like, they don't see this sort of stuff. So it's really important that you make them aware. And then it also becomes really helpful when that you know, mid year review or that annual review comes around and your manager says, how have things been going? What have you accomplished? A lot of the times we get into that conversation. And we were like, Oh my god, I'm blank. I can't think of anything that I did, right? It's like that recency effect. Oh, my God, I, I don't know what to do. And then you're like, oh, I really don't even deserve a raise. Your manager has nothing to go off of. So from the very beginning, keep track of that in a new role tell your manager when it's happening. And if you don't have an opportunity to tell them when it's happening, make sure you come back to it during your, you know, mid-year annual reviews. And then of course, have that conversation with your manager. You want to be confident. You want to be, you know, decisive and strong, but obviously be respectful. We don't want to demand and say, Hey, I deserve a promotion, but we want to say, Hey, you know, I've been thinking about it. You know, I'd love to share ways that I really feel I've added value to the team. And, you know, based on that and based on, you know, the goals that I've accomplished, I wanted to discuss a promotion, a raise of X amount with you and have it feel like a conversation. You know, this is what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts on that? And really make sure it's kind of that back and forth. So those would be sort of like my initial suggestions around approaching those conversations.
1: Some people end up finding out that, you know, their work is undervalued by, talking with a coworker, there's almost this unwritten rule that you're not supposed to talk about compensation with others in your company. Do you believe there's a time and place for these types of conversations? And is this something you you encourage people to do?
0: I mean, I think pay transparency, salary transparency at all levels is really important. And obviously, if there is somebody who is at the exact same level as you doing the exact same scope of work, who is being paid significantly more, that's important for you to know. I think that the situation, though, can become a little bit complicated because the truth is like as an employee, as an individual, we're not always privy to everything that's going on, right? Like we don't always really understand the scope of someone else's work. We don't always really understand what their experience is or what additional like training or, you know, experience that they might have. So sometimes like we think we're comparing apples to apples, but it can be sort of more so apples to oranges, and that can make things really difficult. So... Well, yes, I think these conversations are really important. I think definitely when you're going for a role, there should be that salary transparency in terms of like, this is what we generally pay. And then a person can really have a sense of, you know, is this something that I want to explore? But we want to be like a little weary of having those internal conversations. And if something does come up where we say, oh, wow, I find out this person's being paid way more than me, really make sure like, you've done your research in terms of understanding, like, is it an apples to apples comparison? Because then going to your manager and saying, hey, this person's making more, like, can definitely rub people the wrong way. It can be a really tricky situation. So, like, my advice is always focus on yourself. Do you believe that you deserve more money? Like, do you believe that you should be being paid more? Has the scope of your role changed? Have you added value? If so, then yes, you should be going and asking for more money, right? Like, don't focus too much on the other people. Focus on yourself. And also do the market research to find the comps use sites like glassdoor.com salary.com see where your salary is falling compared to the average and if it's significantly less than the average then yes that is definitely a reason to to you know go to your manager and have that conversation but you know definitely be weary when it comes to you know comparing yourself to others
1: yeah, you mentioned this is a tricky situation. You know, that's the main reason we're having this conversation is just a lot of this yeah. stuff is just so complicated. And another kind of situation that comes to mind is someone gets a job offer elsewhere that's significantly higher. And, you know, yeah. they, they turn in the resignation letter and you know, the current company might say, Hey, we want you to stick around. We'll give you an even better offer. That's just another tricky situation. Is like, do you stay at the current company after you've already put your resignation letter? You know, maybe you really like the company you're currently at, and you do want to stay. It's just you want to be paid fairly. I don't know if you have any thoughts around that type of situation either.
0: Yeah, it's again, yeah, like you said, all very like complicated situations. This is a situation though. Like if you get a counter offer, if you get an offer from a company, and then your current company counters even after you've given your resignation, if you were really only leaving because you wanted to make more money, and now you have that opportunity at your current company absolutely you should stay, right? They're countering, they clearly want you. So I say, if you're happy there, then 100% stay. Like I think that, you know, in a, a respectful way, we all have to be a little bit more selfish when it comes to our careers. I think, you know, companies are always act very selfish and in their own interests. I mean, we're seeing it now, like with all these rescinded job offers, right? Across so many different sectors and like they're always going to act in their best self interest. I think that as individuals, we need to do that as well. So if I'm thinking, okay, I need to make more money. My company's not giving it to me. I really wish I could stay here, but I need to be paid more fairly. I get that offer and now my company's saying, you know what, actually, we don't want to lose you. We're being smart. Here's that money, then 100% you should stay. But be weary of like, are you staying because you genuinely enjoy the role or is like there's the guilt factor coming in? Oh, well, now they're giving me more money. I don't really like it here, but I should really stay. It's the right thing to do. That we definitely don't want to fall into that trap. Like, if you wanted to leave for reasons beyond money and now you have a great offer elsewhere and they're paying you and you're excited about it and your company's trying to keep you, no, like, close that door, go with the new offer, don't feel guilty about it. Like, it's a little too little too late. So, that's on them. And that was ultimately their decision.
1: You know, we mentioned societal pressures earlier, you know, our parents or other people having influence on us. I think a lot of people also have those pressures in a company where they feel really bad if they go because it's they feel like they're betraying their coworkers that they have enjoyed yeah. getting to know over the years. So I think that just adds to the complexity we're seeing here. I'd like to shift gears a bit and talk about what you're working on. You actually coach people and walk them through all of this stuff. And I'm just curious how you fell along this path and yeah. what your experience has been like being a coach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So prior to coaching, I worked in ad tech sales for almost 10 years. So and you were talking about it a little bit in the beginning, you know, saying like all this advice around following our passions and all these different things and kind of like going into what feels like it would be a stable career. I kind of did the same thing. I graduated. I was a marketing major. I got a role at a small e-commerce startup as a marketing coordinator. It just seemed like the natural and smart thing to do. And from there, I kind of climbed the corporate ladder. I then moved into ad tech. I was doing account management. From there, I got into sales, started off as an account executive, became a senior account executive, grew and grew and grew and kind of was like checking all the boxes, you know, all the things that I thought were going to make me so happy, feel successful. was making really good money. But in my, like, It was almost like that pit in my stomach of being like, this isn't for me. I really just I'm unhappy here. I want to do something different. But I didn't really know what that difference should be. And so I sort of did what a lot of people do was without being intentional, without being strategic about it, I was like, oh, let me just try a different company. So, you know, switch to a different company. That didn't work. OK, you know, maybe just let me make a small pivot. I went to go work in like healthcare at a startup as a business development manager, thinking that would be the solve for me. So I kept trying to like do all these quick fixes and none of them were really working because I really hadn't stopped to take the time to really think about, OK, what is ultimately best for me? And I ended up kind of like at the suggestion of a friend Enrolling in, it's, it's like, oh, everything came to life, like enrolling in this very intensive personal development seminar. This is probably already at least five years ago now. And that sort of like became a turning point for me where I realized I had a lot more control over my career than I was giving myself credit for. And it sort of exposed me to the world of personal and professional development. And I realized, okay, like I got to stop doing what I was doing. I got to really get clear on what truly is the right thing for me. So, through a lot of my own self reflection, through a ton of networking, a ton of market research, you know, I came into the world of coaching and really recognized, okay, this hits on my skill set. This is what I enjoy doing. This leverages a lot of my transferable skills from sales. And I decided that that was what I wanted to pursue. And I went to become certified. I did a program for, you know, to become a certified professional coach. And I did this all as a side hustle at first. So I started kind of building this while I was still working until I got to a point where financially, mentally, I felt ready to kind of take the leap and go full time. And so I did that. And I've been doing this full time for over two and a half years already, which is crazy. And I love it. And I feel like so honored to be able to do work that I really enjoy and value. And that pays me well, right? Like avoiding that trade off every day. So that's sort of my path and how I I got to be here. So I'm sure like a lot of people can resonate with that story as well. But that's how it happened for me.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like you're doing very well for yourself. So I'm curious if making that jump initially was difficult for you or was it an easy decision?
0: It was really difficult. I am someone, I mean, talk about, you know, this is millennial investing. Um, When it comes to finances, I am someone like who craves stability in that arena. Right. And that was honestly what kept me in my sales career for as long as it did, because I was making really good money. I was able to save a lot of money and the idea of kind of abandoning that was really scary for me. And it kind of, you know, I reflected on it for a while and eventually took the leap. But also I did so because I had afforded myself the opportunity to be able to save a lot and kind of said to myself, okay, I know I have X amount of money that will last me X amount of time. So I can, you know, kind of do this feeling a little bit more comfortable. And if I reach a certain point where, you know, that money's dwindling, I can always think about going back to my full-time job. So that was sort of how I justified it. It obviously wasn't as easy as, you know, that quick decision. It was something that I Analyzed and agonized with for a while, but I definitely thought and planned around the finances portion of it and was definitely someone who, you know, focused a lot on saving in my, you know, initial career.
1: I've noticed that you talk quite a bit about mindset. You mentioned earlier, what if there isn't actually a trade off? What if you can do what you enjoy and get paid as much as you'd like to get paid to live the life you want? Could you talk a little bit about the role mindset? has played along this whole journey.
0: For me it's been it's huge and i think that's the case for most people i think that a lot of the times we focus so much on the strategy and don't get me wrong strategy is incredibly important but a lot of the times we kind of like skip mindset and try to dive right into strategy and i always say like we want to think about our mindset as like the foundation of a house right if you don't have that strong foundation everything you build on top of it crumbles so you can have this incredible killer strategy but if there's no mindset to support it it's not going to work for you anyways. So I think, you know, talking about what I was saying before, like I had this notion for so long that a successful career meant getting paid really well. It meant this sort of typical nine to five. It meant climbing the corporate ladder. There were all these stories, all these beliefs that I had about myself, about what it meant to be successful and these mindsets that kind of kept me trapped. And that's why I did it. And that's why I was there for 10 years, despite the fact that a lot of those 10 years, I was really unhappy. And I think that's the case for everyone. We kind of have these beliefs and these stories about what our career should look like, what we should do, what it means to be successful and, you know, what our work really should be like right like there's so many beliefs that like we're not actually meant to enjoy our work that's our mindset and that keeps people stuck so I think it's so important to kind of unearth these things because a lot of the time they're subconscious and we don't even realize how they're impacting us so really starting to focus on okay like what are some of the beliefs I have what are some of the stories that are ultimately holding me back how are they impacting my mindset how are they impacting my career And then once we can really understand that, we can better reframe it. And that's what really allows us to move forward in a more powerful and in a more confident way. So it's almost like we always have to start there and then we can dive into like the more strategic elements of our career and of our job searches.
1: Such fantastic information, Eliana. I really enjoyed this conversation and really appreciative of you joining me onto the show today. Before we close out the episode, I know you have a special offer for the millennial investing audience. Tell us you know, a bit about how the audience can get connected with you and sign up for the offer you have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me. It's always you know, fun to talk about these things. And these were such great questions. So I really, really appreciate it. So if you guys want to connect with me, you can, you know, connect with me on social media. Um, I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok, on LinkedIn. I'm very responsive over Instagram DMs if you ever want to reach out. And it's literally just like my name, Eliana underscore Goldstein, both on Instagram, both on um, TikTok. And then for you guys since we're talking all about this notion of, you know, building a career that we actually enjoy, that pays as well, I have a free training sort of devoted to teaching you the steps to make that happen. I literally call it How to Build a Well Paid Career You Love. Um and it's going to go through like my exact four part framework that I generally, you know, say for my clients to really show you how to do that. So, I'm sure we'll provide a link. Um it's totally free. So make sure to check out that training and start building that career for yourself.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Eliana.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please go ahead and follow us on your favorite podcast app so you can get these episodes delivered automatically. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we would really appreciate it if you left us a rating or review on the podcast app you're on. This will really help us in the search algorithm so others can discover the show as well. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to check out our website, theinvestorspodcast.com. There you will find all of our episodes, some educational resources, as well as our TIP finance tool that Robert and I use to manage our own stock portfolios. And with that, we'll see you again next time.
0: Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by The Investor's Podcast Network.